You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And welcome back to all of our participants here. Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, how are you? Oh, just uh, just doing doing great over here. Good. Looking forward to jumping in to one of my favorite riveting books of the Bible, Second Kings. Second Kings, you go to Second Kings a lot. Let's go. Uh, so let's... we're like saving some time here. We're just going to start yeah. by flipping to Second Kings. Exactly, because that's what we would... <laughs> exactly. Instead of having to go there like three different times from you know wherever else we are in the exactly. Old Testament, so it's very exciting. Very exciting. Shall we go through our readings for the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time? Let's do it. Okay. The first reading for this Sunday is, as we said, from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 98. The Gospel, Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 and the epistle for this weekend is second timothy chapter 2 verses 8 through 13. you ready yeah. to dive into it father let's let's dive into it first or second kings chapter 5 verse 14. We if people don't like have if their bible doesn't just like open to second kings at this point then clearly they haven't been in enough bible studies with you yeah yeah, but in this my is really in St. Kings, we usually go to chapter 25, follow Jerusalem, but we're not quite there yet in the story. We got to get a couple other things out of the yeah. way, which is what we're going to be dealing with today. Here we go. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 14. Let's go. 14. Here we go. Naaman went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times at the word of Elisha, the man of God. His flesh became again like the flesh of a little child and he was clean of his leprosy. Naaman returned with his whole retinue to the man of God. On his arrival, he stood before Elisha and said, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha replied, as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not take it. And despite Naaman's urging, he still refused. Naaman said, if you will not accept, please let me, your servant, have two mule loads of earth, for I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to any other god except to the Lord. So who is Naaman? And Father, why is he plunging into the Jordan seven times? Well, um, good question. 
um, the chapter five, verse one, take a look just at the beginning of the chapter. I mean, there's your context, right? You just at least, at least got to go there sure. at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I did actually before coming on today is I went back and read a good portion of second, of second Kings up to this point, And now you actually back into first Kings, which is what you got to do. Go back and do a little bit of, of digging. So just re- remind yourself, because last, when's the last time you thought about the prophet Elisha mm. or in the, from the Greek, Eliseus, right? Uh, who is this guy? What's his story? And then whose name is? You got to get your characters down. Well, Naaman is a commander of the army of the king of Syria right there. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just read verses one and, and, and two, I think is one, two. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in, and in, his, and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Hmm. Now the Syrians, uh, now now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little maid from the land of Israel. So where are the Syrians raiding? Israel. Yeah. So are the Syrians? So he's in, kind of an enemy. He's an enemy of God, exactly. Enemy of God's people. So and you can get that again in chapter six, verse eight. Once again, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. So obviously Syria and Israel have been having a little bit of tension here. That tension goes back um, even to the early chapters of, uh, of second Kings and into first Kings. So there's, there's major problems here. This is also going to help us, by the way, I'm just going to flip us very quickly because Naaman's mentioned in the gospel, isn't he? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Do you remember where in the gospel? Naaman is um, Jesus was talking about him. It was something about with the Gentiles, right? talking about him about him to the jews regarding naming the syrian yeah he said something about even naming the syrian and what did they want to do to him because of this because he was talking about naming do you remember flip your bibles keep your hands in second Kings, so you can go back there one of my favorite chapters and your favorite chapter this year as we're going through luke is (laughs) luke chapter four right Yes. And the unrolling of the scroll of, the of Isaiah scroll. Right. and the announcement of the Jubilee year. Now you're going to think Father has guys just going off on one of his big tangents. Well, I am, except the fact that this issue of the Jubilee year comes up in our reading today a little bit in the commentaries from the fathers. So, so, you know, this text, we've been going over this. If you're new to the ICC or new to gospel reflections, just stick with us. Cause I keep going back to chapter four, the unrolling of the scroll of Isaiah and the announcement of the Jubilee year. And then, and then, of course, the um, in uh, um, verse 21 and following, Jesus says this today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then Jesus says, well, no doubt you're going to want, you know, well, it's right there. And all spoke well and wondered over the gracious words which was proceeded from his mouth. And he said, is not this the son of Joseph? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum. Do you hear also in your own country? Oh, that's right. Yes. Right? And he said to they them, I say, to you know, prophet is acceptable in his own town. And he goes on and says these couple of examples in which Elijah and Elisha healed non-Jews. Right. Right? People outside the covenant. Well, I'm using Jew in a very broad sense there, right? Because actually Elisha is prophesying to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes. However, whatever. The, the, the point is that this is this is one that sticks in the craw of the 
God's people for like 700 years. <laughs> you, you're hearing this text, you're like, oh, that's so nice. Naaman, the Syrian, got cleansed. But no, God's people did not like this event in salvation history. This is a bad example of God's mercy, okay? <laughs> and then he went, went beyond the borders, if you will, and healed the enemy rather than God's people. And of course, we've been talking about what's going on in the time of, in the, in God, like what's going on in Second Kings, right? Total disaster. Sacrificing uh, to false gods and so forth. I mean, the whole place, Israel in the north has mentioned completely paganized. They just hunted for Elijah to kill him. Right. Elisha is not really in the greatest situation either. Okay. And now here, this, this man outside the covenant is, is healed. Right. And that's the example given to us in the Old Testament reading today. That's yeah. the answer to your first question, which is who is this guy? Right. There now, you have it. Why is he going to the Jordan seven times? I, I, I didn't answer the second half of your question, which is, the question I actually asked, which is, who's Alicia? Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Alicia you is that a disciple of the prophet Elijah. Elijah. And you can go back mm -hmm. in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2 to read about the double portion given to Elisha of Elijah's spirit as he's taken up into heaven, the fiery chariot, which we all know about from our children's books right here. Chapter 2, you can read it. And then and, uh, Elisha then leaves the Jordan River. Uh, where the prophet Elijah was taken up in the chariot at least and heads back up to Jerusalem. And on his way up, chapter 2, verse 23, is Father Has Guys' favorite story. And I can't forego it, either, even though it has nothing to do really with our <laughs> thing today. And that is that he went up from there to Bethel, verse 23. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at them, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he's they're taunting him because he must be bald. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And there he went on to Mount Carmel, and thence he returned to Samaria. Okay. I see he's wow. going to Jerusalem. He's going yeah. to Mount that, I didn't read that, that one in a children's book. That'll teach him a lesson. So there's all good. That's talk. the kind of thing that you need in a children's book, quite honestly. Don't... Uh... Yeah. Don't mess with the prophets. That's the good prophet Alicia for you. Yeah. Nice ecumenical gesture. Yeah. Um, and uh, the story of Elijah and Alicia are just wonderful on that front in which the they enemies, take no prisoners. The enemies of the prophets <laughs> don't turn out too well here. Yeah. But here in second Kings chapter five, verse 14 through 17, we're introduced to Naaman who is uh, dunked in the Jordan river, dunks himself in the Jordan river, the command of the prophet seven times. Right. So why, why does the prophet command him to go dunk in the Jordan seven times? Yeah. Well, first of all, the Jordan River is a type of image of baptism, of cleansing in the Old Testament. Going back, let me say, to the time Israel crossed over from the 40 years of wandering into the promised land and left behind them their old life. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's St. Basil, if I'm not mistaken, says that when Elijah was taken up into heaven, he was cleansed through the Jordan River as true mm. baptism. So the yeah. Jordan River is a, is a is a is a a place of cleansing, a place of purification, a place of uh death to the old life and and uh, the gift of the spirit, yeah? So that kind of have has that background. But of course you're saying, well why seven times? And of you know, we're Christians. So we're like, oh yeah, of course it's seven times. But why? Yeah. 
in the Old Testament, the number seven and the word for covenant has a common root um, uh, root word. And so oftentimes the number seven will represent the covenant. Yeah. God created in a seven day structure. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite example of this is in Genesis. Yes. Turn to Genesis with the story of Abimelech in Genesis chapter. I'm going to come to it. Just give me a second. Don't be so anxious. Genesis, I'm going to find it for you. Genesis chapter 21, verse 25. When Abraham complained to Abimelech, Abimelech was the uh, another uh, commander, uh, another uh, leader in the area, right? A pagan guy who had his own tribe and so forth and his own army. When Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me until now, and I've not heard of it until today. So, so Abraham, verse 27, took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs uh, of the flock apart. And Abimelech, coming to us today in the person of Annie Mitchell, says, why did Naaman Dunk seven times in the water. Exactly. Why seven? Yeah. What are the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set apart? And he said, seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that you that you may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the place is called Be'er Sheva, the well of swearing. Okay, Sheva. So, um, so uh, a covenant is formed, right? And the seven ewe lambs are an example, uh, is a sign of the covenant that Abimelech and Abraham were going to be of one mind regarding this well. Well, the same thing then happens here. Naaman the Syrian is outside the covenant family of God, right? right? And what comes with being outside the covenant family of God? Leprosy, you know, welcome to being a, being outside the covenant family. <laughs> this, and this is, this is real Old Testament stuff. So, so the, 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 the uh, the person of Naaman acts in a very biblical way as a symbol of not just Naaman as all the prophets, like all the prophets, they embodied what was taking place over and over again. This happens. Well, Naaman ends up in this position where he embodies the reality of life apart from God. What does it look wow. like? It's leprous. What does it look like when you enter into co covenant union with God? You're cleansed, yeah? Not just of the body, that's a physical representation of an interior disposition, interior reality, yeah? And therefore, the fathers of the church picked up this story right away and said, uh, this is a, a, a foreshadowing of, a preparation for what God is going to do in the, in the new covenant when we are baptized like Naaman into our covenant relationship with God. So Naaman becomes this foreshadowing of the conversion of the Gentiles. Yeah. And therefore Elisha is a prefigurement of Christ himself. Christ himself yes. Yeah. yeah. Who, uh, who uh, commands it to she bears to tear up the 42 boys. Great story for the new Testament. Um, great story <laughs> for the kids because don't mess around with the things of the Lord. You know, <laughs> Don't mess around with God's prophets. Be nice to your priest too. That's exactly. Exactly. Okay, I'm saying that with a smile. But here, yes, the fathers of the church pick this story up and say, this is a symbol of a sign of baptism. 
and what do we mean by it's a sign of or a symbol of our foreshadowing? This is we're not talking. This is where I need to go off a little bit of a tangent, Annie. I apologize, but this is where we get to have a lot of fun in our Bible studies because we don't just do strict Bible study here. We're getting the background, we're getting the context, we're getting our tools, our tool belt, so that our priest can preach a good homily on Sunday and we can receive that. So what do we mean by uh, that, that, that Naaman and this whole story is a type of or foreshadowing of Christ, a preparation for? We don't just mean that there are similarities to the story. We don't just mean that, well, Naaman was not part of the family of God and uh, Jesus is coming to bring us baptism and therefore he's going to bring in the people from the outside. And it's a similar story. There's similarities it's way beyond that. Okay. I'm going to share with you from um well let me begin because i have it open in cardinal jean daniel's nice little oh, book yeah. the bible and the liturgy a couple of quotes regarding naaman first of all from origin says no one was purified except naaman the syrian speaking of luke chapter four who was not of israel see that those who are washed by the spiritual um alicia who is our Lord and Savior, are purified the sacrament of baptism and are cleansed of the stain of the letter of the law. So we're clear, we're, clear, we're freed from, from the burden of the law, yeah, from the laws of obligation and given, uh, we're freed to be children of God. Yeah, so origin is, a, origin is an example there of the, common, the, the fathers of the church who comment on this passage, including St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Ambrose, uh, saying that that what happened here is going to help us understand what happens in baptism. So I'm going to go back then and just share with you two of my favorite quotes from, from this book from uh, Cardinal Jean Danielo. Okay, I'm going to actually go back and give you a couple of quotes, uh, more than just uh, about three or four quotes, okay? Um, that the realities of the Old Testament are figures of those of the new is, is one of the principles of biblical theology. This science of similitudes between the two testaments is called typology. And here we do well to remind ourselves of its foundation. For this is to be found in the Old Testament itself. At the time of the captivity, that's the Babylonian captivity, which is about to happen here in 2 Kings in a few chapters, the prophets announced to the people of Israel that in the future, God would perform for their benefit deeds analogous to and even greater than those he performed in the past. Now, Daniel is going to go on to take us to a, to a deeper place than just similitudes okay similarities he says this the sacraments so i'll just say baptism the sacraments carry on in our midst now the great works of god in the old and the new testament for example the flood the passion and baptism where we could say uh name naaman's cleansing in the jordan the passion sure. and baptism yeah. show uh um uh, show us the same divine activity as carried about in three different eras of sacred history. And these three phrases of God's action are all ordered to the judgment at the end of time. Okay, so what is the same divine activity that is being talked about that, that we have to get make sure we understand? And that is, it is the one activity that is God. Yeah? His pure existence, as John says, he is love. Love is the giving of our life to the other, is the pouring out of our life to the beloved. Anytime there's a healing or a, a salvific moment in the Old Testament, it is God who saves. It is God who cleansed Naaman. And therefore, we can say that the same mystery is taking place in the life of Naaman as happens in the life of you and I in baptism, even though the manifestation of that same divine activity looks different, although in baptism and Naaman, it's very similar, it, right. but it still looks different. 
Um, and, and yet it's the same divine activity, the same encounter with God who is love and who saves us. And this allows us to understand how it is that there is a communion between the Old Testament church and the New Testament church, that when you are baptized, you experience the same divine activity as Moses and Israel experienced crossing the Red Sea, as Naaman experienced in the Jordan River. Yeah. If you ever thought, man, I wish I could have stood there and watched the seas part at the crossing mm -hmm. of Moses. Go, go participate in a baptism in the church. It's the same divine activity taking place. Yeah. It's very beautiful then because all of these Old Testament types or shadows or prefigurements then help us understand what's happening in your baptismal font in your church. You may not see all of the waters parting and Pharaoh getting, but it's happening right there. That's yeah. So if cool. only you have eyes to see. Yeah. That's so cool. So cool. That's my little kick on on uh, on typology, and of course, this whole thing is then going to be used by Jesus. He says, "Look, just as that happened in the Old Testament for Naaman, it's going to happen now." And then, the, the, of course, the people in Nazareth get upset because they are the ones. Wait a minute, what about He's us? He's our guy. He's our yeah. guy. This is fundamentally important then to what's going on the gospel of Luke. We've been talking about context that's around Jesus and the discussion going on around him. And this is why the church is picking it up. I do want to give you guys a quotation from St. Ephraim the Syrian. Yeah. Well, he goes on regarding this particular text in Naaman, because this isn't the end of the text, is it, Annie? We still get these details about Naaman, like bringing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Like, why Alicia is refusing to accept this gift that Naaman mm. has to offer him. And then also, why in the world does Naaman want Alicia's dirt? <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what he's asking I'm for, right? I'm into the dirt thing. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it was kind of cool, but it's cool. I mean, for Catholics, right? Yeah, dude, I'll take that dirt. You know, I'll take I'll go, the dirt. I'll yeah. go do the mass on that, you know? I mean, we understand it, right? Cool. Because it's the holy, it's the holy dirt, the holy land, right? And in those days, they would sacrifice on these big mounds that they would build closer to heaven, right? And they would go sacrifice on top of it. He wants some of the oh, sacred wow. dirt upon which a, a true sacrifice has taken place. How many of you wouldn't want a piece of Golgotha, right? Yeah. Or, I oh, I should have had it in, in front of, I, I oh, I do. Hold on. I'm going to step away. Don't edit this out because this means we're, we really do do Bible study here at the Institute. It's not just all edited, <laughs> you know, stuff. I'm going to step behind because I have right here. Listen, watch this. It's a good example of this cross from the Holy Land that a parishioner gave me on olive wood and things like that. And of course, what, what do you have in it? Dirt from the Holy Land. Now, cool. of course, they, they kind of <laughs> sell this stuff as a, you know, whatever is kind of a gimmick. But I mean, if you're going to go to the still, Holy that's neat. You got a little piece of the Holy Land right there. If you go to the Holy Land, Father Hezekiah, we don't buy dirt. We dig it out ourselves. Yeah. I remember the first time I came back from the Holy Land, my whole suitcase, they opened it up at the airport, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I take all my old clothes so I can just throw them away and make room as I go through the, my trip, you know? And the whole thing was filled with dirt and rocks and branches and all this holy <laughs> stuff, you know? Because this, we understand this. So anyways, so the That's sacred awesome. ground upon which the sacrifice was not only offered, but acceptable to God. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's there's that that part of the business, but the other part of the business is a little confusing. Is like he's trying to give something to the prophet, and the prophet's like, I don't want your money. And I think there's two things going on there. And I think, and well, I don't think it. The fathers of the church tell us, which are always our guardian light, and that is, first of all, this is dirty money, right? I don't know. Naaman got cleansed, but he's still godless. He's still a Syrian, yeah. Syrian, you know. Sorry, don't tell that to my parishioners. I have Syrians in my. <laughs> But, uh, but so there's, there is that aspect. He brought it from Syria with him. If you read the story, he hauls all this stuff with him. That's like, you know, yeah. Unclean, unclean money. But, uh, but, but, but maybe more than that is that he's trying to pay for spiritual goods. And I'm sorry, Jesus said very clearly, and I'm going to go on a bit of a kick right now. Jesus said, you receive freely, give freely. And the church has gotten herself into trouble in the past when we were selling spiritual goods for a price. And I think we need to kind of get our act in order once again to say, we don't do that. We don't sell gospel. We don't sell Bible studies online. We don't sell, uh, you know, all sorts of spiritual goods for, for the good of the faith. We give them because they receive them for free. That's the mission of the Institute of Catholic Culture. Yeah. And uh, so here's what St. Ephraim says. After Naaman had been persuaded by the prophet and washed seven times in the Jordan, he eventually acknowledged his error. He was astonished and a deep bewilderment took him when he realized that he had been delivered from his filthiness. And he thanked God for, he, for his healing and testified that the Lord of the universe in his profound care for him had concealed him, had conceded him that extraordinary power by simply using water. He also proclaimed that his healing could not have derived from the water of the river, but had been caused by Elisha's command. That is why he offered royal presents. But the prophet did not accept them, was not persuaded by the donor, even though he had pressed him many times. For that, magnific for that magnificently and very clearly prefigured the mystery of the healing, which is freely granted to all nations of the earth by our Lord through the intercession of the apostles. And this had been promised in advance to those ma masters by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. Since all diseases are a sort of bondage, the prophet necessarily fixed the healing at the seventh bath. In the parallel with the fact that the law to orders and promises freedom from this for the slave at the seventh year. Oh. So Naaman not only prefigures baptism, but he prefigures baptism in light of the sap of the, of the, the, um, of the Jubilee, right. Yeah. The sa sabbatical year, right. Seven and then seven times seven is even more so, which Jesus proclaims in John in Luke chapter four, which gives rise to this entire gospel. So Naaman, according to St. Ephraim prefigures the Jubilee year, which Christ is going to announce in the gospel of Luke. Now that should blow your mind. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But it I have does. to get back on my kick. Yeah, and that is look around. There's a lot of good Catholic organizations out there, but a lot of them are confused with a materialistic uh, American consumer model for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They might have fancy Bibles. They might have good Bible studies, but if and they may even have stuff that's for free of charge, by the way, on the surface. But just unwrap the wrap and see if there's a charge behind it. Because if there is, it's not according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not my 
word. That is the word of my father. Because when I was going to start the Institute, I was going to start it on a model by which people would pay for a service and a subscription, whatever the case may be. And my dad said to me, don't do it. Thank God I listened to him because I do believe that's why the Institute is successful today, because we have followed the model of Jesus Christ and refused to charge for what we have received freely. I mean, I think another example of this, I will never forget um, listening to your brother, Father Sebastian, talk about the sacraments and somebody trying to give him a little thank you gift. And it he said, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Don't yeah. hand that to me. No, it happens regularly, especially in, um, uh, you know, my brother and I are both pastors of church of Melkite Creek Catholic Church, Byzantine Church. The people are very old world. And I love that about them. Uh, but unfortunately, in the Middle East, there's been a, a dynamic that's been created over the years. And that is that, that number one, that the church is supported by the government. Okay. And so the people don't really tithe or support the church like they should. Hmm. And then the priests are, don't, don't really get payment. And, or they, they don't have receive a salary. And so they have to, um, they have to get their money other ways. Yeah. Uh, and one of those ways is by charging. And so it's become this dynamic. I, I kid you not. I was in a, in a, um, in a, uh, uh, clergy meeting in which the Bishop, my Bishop said to the priests, you cannot charge for baptisms and weddings. And one of the priests from the old country said, but Sayyidna, that's what we call him, Sayyidna, master. But Sayyidna, if we don't charge, they'll go to the other church because they'll think it's more valuable. Where they do charge. Yeah. Wow. So this is the dynamic we're having to deal with. And uh, thank God in the West, because let me say, thank God. Let me be very careful. Because of Luther, not thank God because of Luther, but there have been some lessons learned. Sure. And, uh, and, and so we don't really have that problem um, anymore to be paying for spiritual goods. I just had a family come uh, from, Romania. They don't speak good English. They're here in Sacramento and their daughter has never been baptized. She's like five years old. So I said, we need to talk about doing the baptism. They said, we don't have enough money. I said, what do you mean you don't have money? We do know we have to pay and we need to throw the party. You have to do these things. I said, no, you have to save this girl's soul. That's what you have to do. And that there's no price. There's no, you can't afford it. So put your wallet away. <laughs> anyway absolutely it's a priceless thing yeah psalm, psalm 98. 98 the lord has revealed to the nations his saving power so there's your theme right coming out of name and of going out beyond the family of god because the family of god of course is supposed to be a light to the nations right the the abraham's family is that's his mission unfortunately god's people have forgotten their mission in the new testament and so he says look, I'm going out beyond and I'm going to take that light to where it's supposed to be going. And well, we kind of see that, don't we? In the, the gospel passage, Luke 17, Luke. let's turn yeah. there. Luke 17. And we are starting in verse 11. As Jesus, hold on, hold on, Annie. Oh, you're not there yet. You don't know where Luke is by now. Come on. You got to give people a chance to turn their Bibles over for God's sake. Luke, <laughs> Again, I'm shocked that after all of these SGRs, your Bible doesn't just like turn itself to Luke. How many weeks have we been in Luke now? <laughs> How many months? How many months? months? 
Yeah, I Luke think you're 17, right. Luke 17, here we go. Luke 17. We get to start. We finally get to start. Oh, Jesus has finally left the table. He's moving. He's, he's moving. <laughs> he's been for like three chapters getting up from the table of this guy's house. That reminds me of like an like getting out of an Irish party, right? Like you just, exactly. just can't leave. Yeah. It takes hours, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so he's finally, finally yeah. continuing the journey. Here Remember we go. Chapter 14, verse 1, on the Sabbath, he went to dine in the house of a ruler. And then everything kind of follows from that. And of course, this follows from that too, but at least we're moving in the right direction. Okay. Yeah. We see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Literally right. moving. Okay. Here we go. Luke 17, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, 10 lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing that he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice, and he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Mm. Okay, so just first of all, because we've actually moved, literally, where is this happening? Well, it says it right there, doesn't it? Well, I mean, can you show us a map? Between Samaria and Galilee, yes. We're going to pull up the map right here, and you can see now around the Sea of Galilee, and then you'll see the Jordan River running down the Jordan Valley. And then all the way to the Dead Sea down here in the south. And then just to the west of the Dead Sea, you're going to see Jerusalem here. And then I'm going to head back north, but just inland a bit, which so you're seeing Judah. But then now you're going to see Samaria, which is kind of this middle point now between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. We've talked about Samaria. We've talked about the Hill of Samaria owned by Shemar and how this becomes the capital city of the north. Um, what we need to do is go back and get one passage together that is going to make sure that we understand that. And so that's going back to, um, well, look at, I just flipped to it. So first Kings chapter 16, verse 24 tells you about the hill of Samaria that then mm -hmm. it becomes an identifier of the Northern 10 tribes and the whole nation of the, what we call Israel or Samaria. But what you need to know about this is a little bit more comes to us. Here it is. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 24. Uh, the king of Assyria. You see you with me? Chapter 17, verse 24. Second Kings, yeah. 17, verse yeah. 24. Yeah, I'm here. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Zephavarim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So I just had to show that to you to say, here's who these people are. Is there, when, when the uh, Assyrians conquer it, they take the people of the land. They leave some of them there. And they, but for the most part, they take them off to another foreign land so that they have no power to revolt. They don't even know where they're at. And they import right. other people to the place. Here they import 
five nations with their with their false gods as you keep re keep reading which is why jesus says to the samaritan woman you've been your your husband you had five husbands yeah. right is a is a symbol of the of the samaritans as a whole my point of all that is you you just ask where are where is jesus well he's in this location but it's more than a location right it represents a, a bigger problem sure. in, in the heart of of the holy land and that is the people mixed up between true worshipers and people like Naaman. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. Now to look at the story itself. Okay. Why does Jesus tell them to go show themselves to a priest? I mean, he's, I mean, by this point, he's already established that mm. he can heal people on the spot. So why isn't he healing these guys on the spot? Why do they got to go to a priest? So, okay, I'm going to, and now I have for you one, two, and three quotes from the church fathers, because you'd rather hear, wouldn't you, Annie? I know you love Father Hezekiah. Wouldn't you rather hear from St. Cyril of Alexandria? I like hearing from all of them. Yeah, Why not? Absolutely. Okay. Why did Especially he Especially say... when it's in Father Hezekiah's voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's nice of you, Annie, but let's be honest. Okay. Uh, why did he not say, this is St. Cyril of Alexandria. Why did he not say, I will be cleansed, right? I, I will do this for you. Be cleansed, right? As he did in the case of another leper, instead of commanding them to show themselves to the priests. It was because the law gave direction to this effect to those who were delivered from leprosy. They had to go show themselves to the priests to prove it, right? Oh, in com yeah. It commanded them to show themselves to the priests and to offer a sacrifice for their cleansing. He commanded them to go as being already healed so that they might bear witness to the priests, the rulers of the Jews, and, and always envious of his glory. There's the key right? It's not just, it's not just go show yourselves a priest to fulfill the law, but the, the priests that he's sending them to are the very ones who were sitting at that table with him. Oh, right. Yeah. They testified. I'm in the table in chapter 14 of Luke, right? They testified that wonderfully and beyond their hope, they had been delivered from their misfortune by Christ's willing that they should be healed. He did not heal them at first, but sent them to the priests because the priests knew the marks of leprosy and of its healing. So therefore, now, now the priests are stuck, are they not? <laughs> They're the ones who are supposed to proclaim that someone actually has been cleansed of leprosy. Oh, yeah. And if they do that, then they will proclaim Jesus as the Christ. Oh, wow. They will have to admit that he's the healer. Yeah. And now just as Jesus says to them, you know, whose face is on this coin. And there are so many times in which Jesus catches them in their own, their own situation and they're stopped. So he's going to do the same thing to the, to the priests. Why? Because they're the ones that have been trying to plot his downfall. And they're mm -hmm. going to be, have to be the ones that proclaim that he is indeed the healer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I want to ask about these other nine guys though. Because, yeah. you know, it sounds like Jesus is criticizing them. I mean, am I right? It, I think so, yeah. Where are the other nine? Um, well, do you think they're getting kind of a bad rap? I mean, he did tell them to go to the priest. So presumably they continue on to show themselves to the priest, right? They're just following his directions, aren't they? Or, or, I, like or I mean, are they really that ungrateful? I like your questions, Annie. And again, I'm going to give you the church fathers. Okay? okay, listen to this. I knew you can ask these questions because these are the most basic questions we ask when you read this story and the fathers of the church. This is a principle to remember. Never, never, never be stumped as a Catholic. 
because there's it's not the first time the question's been asked. I don't care. You know, you find yourselves in conversation with a Baptist, you with a Jehovah's Witness, whoever it is, and you find yourself unable to explain some aspect of the faith. Well, hopefully at the Institute of Catholic Culture, that's not true. You should be well formed. But let's say you, you do. No, don't 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 fear, because you know what? It's not the first time somebody's asked the question. Yeah. The fathers of the church dealt with it all, and it's just a matter of being rich in the fathers to know how they answer. So listen to this. St. Athanasius. Today, the Lord rebukes those who keep the Passover the way the Jews did, just as he rebuked certain lepers he had cleansed. You recall that he loved the one who was thankful, but he was angry with the ungrateful because they did not acknowledge their deliverer. They thought more highly of their cure from leprosy than of him who had healed them. Actually, this one was given much more than the rest. Besides being healed of his leprosy, the one who was healed, he was, he was told by the Lord, stand up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. You see, those who give thanks and those who glorify have the same kind of feelings. They bless their helper for the benefits they have received. That is why Paul urged everyone to glorify God with your body. Isaiah also commanded give glory to God. So this is this is so Eucharistic, so beautiful, right? When you whenever you hear, hear the word thanks, thankfulness, or whatever, think Eucharist, right? And 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 our, and our Lord's relationship with our heavenly Father. So the, um, you recall he loved the one who was thankful, who was Eucharistic, yeah, yeah. And then Saint Cyril of Alexandria really dials us in, and I think I, I can't tell you how many times I have used this point in homilies or in with uh, offering some spiritual direction in my parish, St. Cyril of Alexandria says, falling into a thankless forgetfulness, a thankless forgetfulness. The nine lepers that were Jews did not return to give glory to God. By this, he shows that Israel was hard of heart and, and utterly unthankful. The stranger, a Samaritan, I'm going to add, like Naaman the Syrian, mm-hmm. was of a foreign race brought from Assyria. The phrase in the middle of Samaria and Galilee has meaning. He returned with a loud voice to glorify God. It shows that the Samaritans were grateful, but that the Jews, even when they benefited, were ungrateful. So again, we need to go back here now then into the context of the Gospel of Luke and what's going on. And I'll just point out for you I, I think it's 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 helpful when you're reading to your gospel and you're seeing fra- similar phrases yeah yeah um popping up and i'll just point out chapter 17 uh, of the gospel of luke verse 5 the apostles said to the lord increase our faith Mm-hmm. Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say this for you and so forth, right? And then now this power of faith comes again. Immediately, right? Upon this story, the next story again yeah. focuses our, 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 our eyes on this, on this gift of faith. Yeah. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Wow. And uh, we talked about the power of faith last week but maybe we could talk just for a moment about the sin of forgetfulness or as as saint Saint cyril of alexander says the thing they fell into thankless forgetfulness 
And I, it, I, I oftentimes say that forgetfulness is the root of all or the majority of our sins. A forgetfulness that everything we have is a gift from God. And of course, the proper response to a gift is, Annie, to say, thank you. Thank you. And that is to become a Eucharistic person, right? Evkaristo in Greek is to say thank you, right? Yeah. Eucharist. So um, uh, we need to work on this in our own lives. And the disciples also watching what's going on and seeing these people that are apparently outside the kingdom brought to the table of the master. And remember, hmm. we're going to go back to chapter 14, verse 24. Chapter 14, verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet, right? Yeah. But rather, then Jesus sits down with Samaritans and tax collectors and all of these things, right? And there's people watching all of this go on and, and, and Jesus in, in some sense poking those people, right? He's poking the, the, the priests that are there, the, the Jewish priests that are there because they've seen everything Jesus has done. They, I mean, they had an opportunity to proclaim what he had done and they refused to do so. And refusing to do so, they fell into the same sin as these nine lepers did, and the sin of thankless forgetfulness. Yeah, they've now cast aside everything Jesus has done for three years, and are and are plotting his death. Wow. Look, look. I just 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 to finish this off, as we look ahead now to chapter seventeen, verse twenty-two, and he said to his disciples, "The days are coming." You know, you just stop right there. Right? This is all about Jesus heading to Jerusalem. It's all about the conflict that's about to happen. And in the middle of that conflict, Jesus just starts coming out in the open with it. He's saying, this is God's plan from the beginning, that all of the nations of the world would be cleansed through baptism. That all of the nations of the world have an opportunity to come to the inner relationship with the Lord, not just you. But you were called for a purpose. And that is the whole point of what Jesus is trying to help the disciples see. Their mission is going to be a mission to the Gentile world. The same mission of, of St. Paul as we transition to uh, the epistle here in, in 2 Timothy. I was just thinking about how you would think that people, we talked about this last week, actually, when, when we were talking about Habakkuk and, and, and you know having faith the size of a mustard seed and all of that. Yeah. That one of the, the biggest reasons why people will refuse to believe in god is the problem of evil but this idea of like being forgetful when things are going well is an interesting problem that we have as well which is the exact opposite of what saint paul was doing i mean he's sitting here in prison i was reading a commentary this is probably right before his martyrdom perhaps mm -hmm. that this is being sent and he talks about you know he's he's keeping the faith even though he's suffering to the point of chains like a criminal, as he writes in this epistle. Yep, yep. Let's take a look at it. Second Timothy chapter two, verse eight through thirteen. Second Timothy chapter two, starting with verse eight. Beloved, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Such is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus 
together with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we persevere, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Mm -hmm. So uh, beautiful, Annie, here, the participation which St. Paul sees in the suffering of Christ for the sake of, of the body of Christ. Notice he says, therefore, I bear with everything. Why? For the, for sake, the sake of those, of those who, are who are chosen, so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ. So he sees his suffering as beneficial to those who are uh, who are uh, 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 t- trying to attain salvation. The very act of his suffering brings about the salvation of his disciples. Look at Colossians with me for a second. Chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Notice what St. Paul's saying. Well, first of all, what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Obviously nothing, right? Jesus' sacrifice is perfect, and yet it's not for Christ. It's for us. So what is lacking in the sacrifice of Christ is our incorporation into that sacrifice, our incorporation, our embodiment into it, right? Which happens in our baptism and through a life of virtue. Yeah, and the, the giving of the grace of God. But you and I participate as one in that because all of us have been baptized into one body. All of us have been baptized into Christ. Therefore, when you suffer, I suffer. Much like if your hand is 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 dan- is um is uh hurt, your whole body suffers from it, right? Or your elbows hurt, your hand won't work right. Does it make sense? So yeah. St. Paul sees us very much in that in those terms. And here he, he repeats that same thing in Second Timothy chapter two. Um, which is also beautiful. We reflect all the way back to all these scriptures of Naaman, of Elisha, of all the prophets who participated in the salvific work of God. And we are called into that ministry, right? We call that ministry. We have received freely. We've been cleansed of our leprosy. We've been baptized into Christ. We've been given everything for what? For what? Are we going to remain like the Jews who, who refuse to recognize the healing power of Christ? right? Who stand on the side? Or are we going to be like the disciples, faithful? Are we going to come to the Lord for cleansing and be willing to go to him? Yeah. And then to proclaim loudly what the Lord has done for us, just as this one uh, leper came and, and, and was, uh, uh, became a Eucharistic person in giving thanks to the Lord. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.